Good morning and welcome to the Hub City Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us in worship this morning. As the Hub City Church, we exist to make disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey the word of God. If you'd like to hear more about our vision, or if you're interested in joining our serve teams, community groups, or men's and women's ministries, you can visit our website, thehubcitychurch.org, or just text the word Hub City to 97000 and we'll follow up with you in the next few days. Ladies, we'd love to see you at our Women's Ministry Christmas Party this coming Wednesday at 6 p.m. For more information on the party, you can stop by the Connection Desk after service or join the Women's Ministry group on our Church Center app. God has been so faithful in continuing to grow our church body. To help accommodate those looking for seating, it would be super helpful to keep end seats open so our ushers are able to easily find seats for those coming into the service. Kids are always welcome in service, and we have a nursing mother's room with our service streaming live just outside the lobby to the left. Again, we're so glad you're here. Let's worship Jesus together. Hey, good morning again. Uh, my name is Tad Anderson. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at the Hub City Church. If I've not met you, um, I would love to do that after the service this morning. And I uh, just want to tack on to what uh, Matt Davidson said. Um, man, what, what an awesome uh, opportunity it is for us to continue to be in partnership with Ostrom Kambalay, and particularly in Mumbai, uh, India, which is a heavily, densely populated um, city center uh, there in India, if you're familiar with that. Um, Matt and I both have ridden on trains in Mumbai, and so we really understand how that many people can be crammed into that small space. It's like osmosis getting on that train, and you're like fearing for your life every time. So, but, but we are going to increase our giving uh, to, um, to Osram this next year by God's grace because of your generosity. Uh, so that's really, really a celebration. Um, uh, just a few more announcements, though, before we get into the word this morning. Uh, the first thing is our, um, our Feed Fosters uh, outreach that we participated with uh, yesterday went really well. So thanks to those uh, who came out for that. Um, it was at the Gulfarium, and we were able to interact with a lot of uh, foster families there and serve them breakfast and allow them to get um, some gifts for, uh, for the kids that they're fostering. And it just was a really, really good time. Um, and so that went really well. We think we'll probably do that yearly from now on, as that is a monthly thing that we do. I don't know if, if you're not aware, uh, we do partner with this organization, Feed Fosters, here in the Panhandle, and we distribute meals once a month to the foster families that are here locally in Crestview. So that's been a really um, fun ministry to be a part of. Um, the, the second thing is um, Thanksgiving went so well this year. Our Thanksgiving outreach went so well. We feel like uh, it's, it's finally time. We've, we've sort of gotten some of the kinks worked out uh, on that, that we're going we're gonna to go ahead and do it again. Um, on Saturday, the 23rd of, of this month, Christmas Eve Eve, if you will. Uh, and so we would love for you guys to jump in with us if you're, uh, if you're interested and you're free uh, on that day. Uh, hopefully a lot of you are starting to get off work around that time frame. And so we'll do it exactly, if you were here for the Thanksgiving outreach, we'll do it exactly the same way downtown um, on Wilson Street there by the, uh, the thrifty store. It just seems to be a really great hub for all the kind of the, the people, the people group in that little uh, vicinity of our, of our city. It's, it's, it's a lot of people in need, honestly, if you've not been down there. Um, it's actually a bit shocking, you know, if you, that's not an area that you frequented. But uh, we had a really great reception when we were down there um, this past time. A lot of people who we were able to pray for and to share the gospel with. A lot of thankfulness just for the meals that were uh, distributed. Uh, and, and we did run out of food down there this last time. So we'll be prepping the same amount and hoping to uh, run it out again. So it's just a really good opportunity. And we're, we're 
hoping to, uh, again, because of your generosity, we really feel like for the first time uh, we're able to do what we've wanted to do for years, Matt. Uh, Matt kind of has started this whole thing, but really, like, uh, we'd like to go down there quarterly if we can and, and prepare meals for those folks and, and just really get to know them better, maybe build some relationships and really uh, have inroads to the gospel. So again, if you would like to be a part of that, we would love for you to join us. If you have the Church Center app, um, there is a form where you can sign up to be a part of that. And so just, you know, pull that open. You'll see the graphic. You can click on that and it'll go straight to a form where you can sign up for that outreach. We'd love for you to be a part. All the same roles, food prep, um, you know, food serving line, just people sharing the gospel, people who are willing to do some childcare here at the building if that's necessary. Uh, so all those same roles apply for this outreach as did for the Thanksgiving outreach. And so uh, we'd, again, we'd love for you to be a part uh, it's it's going to be a good time, I think. So, anyway, um, and, and the, the the final thing is uh, Christmas Eve. So I said this last week, but uh, Christmas Eve does fall on a Sunday this year, so a uh, Lord's Day. And um, again, I don't know if you've ever looked, but like it's kind of like every six to eleven years or something like that. It's a weird thing, I don't know, leap years or something. But um, so that doesn't happen that much. And so we're like, man, we should just have our Christmas Eve service uh, at ten a.m. Like we have service every single week. So we're going to do that. And uh, historically, we do uh, have treats to share, you know, uh, Christmas treats to share during that time. And so uh, we're going to do that as always, but we're going to do kind of a, a brunch theme instead. So that kind of opens up the variety of, of foods and things that you can make to share. So we'd love for you to be a part of that, make something to share. And I, I, just directly after service, we'll just kind of hang out and fellowship and, and have a good time right there before uh, the day before Christmas. Okay. I uh, hope you guys will uh, make plans to join us for that as well. Uh, the final thing is, uh, if you're used to having a paper bulletin, uh, you, you did not get one when you came in this morning. Sorry about that. Uh, again, you can see the notes uh, every week on the Church Center app. Just go to Service Notes. There's a button. Click it. It'll take you right to it. If you don't have the Church Center app, you can go to our website, thehubcitychurch.org. Go to Resources, Sermons. You'll see the notes right there. So we'd love for you to follow along with the sermons. I do Put those notes out for everybody to follow when you're when you're here. So, all right. Well, uh, we are in week two of this Advent series, God and Sinners Reconciled. And uh, if Advent sounds like kind of like a familiar but maybe somewhat confusing term to you, uh, let me once again briefly explain. Advent uh, is a word derived from the Latin adventus, which means coming or arrival. And the parallel uh, New Testament Greek term is parousia, which has an end times connotation because whenever it's used in more than 20 instances in, in the Bible, it's referring to the return of or the second coming of Christ. And thus, Christians have historically throughout the ages taken the month of December up through Christmas to consider the multifaceted wonders of Christ's first coming as well as to stir their hearts in anticipation for his imminent final arrival uh, where he comes, Hebrews says, not to deal with sins, but to bring our salvation to its consummate and glorious end. And so each Sunday in this series, we're considering a theme that Advent is all about, if you will. Last week, we started with the fact that Advent is about hope, and so we defined biblical hope. We talked about what that has to do with how we celebrate Christmas and so forth. But this morning, uh, we're going to discuss how Advent is about awe, and I'm, I'm pretty excited for this one. So let's read a familiar text, uh, and we'll pray, and we'll dive in. The text is in Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to read from verse 26. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Advent morning to gather together as the body of Christ. And God, we thank you even for the kind of wet, dreary weather. God, it reminds us of how in this often dreary life, we are, as your blood-bought people, filled with eager expectation for the sun to come out and bring us home, where because of his light, there will never be anything dark or dreary ever again. And Lord, now as we turn to consider another important theme of Advent, I ask for your help. And these themes are so big and so important, it's hard to feel like I can do them real justice. And so, Holy Spirit, would you move on and stir in hearts like I cannot? And God, as I touch on some some glorious but perhaps convicting things, would the, the beauty of the Incarnation and our sense of wonder overshadow anything that may otherwise offend. Jesus, you and you alone deserve our attention and the meditations of our hearts these next few weeks and always. So I pray that you would show yourself this morning through the scriptures to not only demand it, but to be totally worthy of it. We love you, Lord. Help us to be rightly in awe of you in your amazing and wonderful name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, there, you know, there's something really fun <laughs> as a parent uh, to the experience of being able to show your kids something awe-inducing, right? Taking them on a vacation to some theme park or to the, to the mountains and, and hearing them say, whoa, you know, as they see something spectacular and new to them, right? I mean, that's fun. As a, as a dad, I always enjoy that. Um, and I would argue that Advent should be a season where we, as Christians, are seeing some of the most awe-inducing truths in God's Word and thinking, whoa, God is amazing, right? God is amazing. The, the central doctrine uh, that we ought to be in awe of during Advent is the doctrine that we've been singing about all, all morning. It's the doctrine of the incarnation, the reality that Jesus, who is fully God, broke in to human history and came to us in human form. The passage we just read in Luke chapter 1 is a very important one in understanding the incarnation because it outlines what's referred to as the virgin birth. The fact that in order to be fully God and fully man, Jesus had to have one human parent and one divine parent. And so Mary uh, was his mother and God, his father, by means of the Holy Spirit, as we just read. And, uh, you know, I really love the way John gives us a more succinct and you know, theological articulation of the incarnation in his gospel account. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So uh, this is kind of the overarching uh, idea this morning, okay? It's very simple. Advent is a season for awe because the incarnation of Christ was the inconceivably wonderful and yet absolutely vital mode of Christ's arrival. Okay? So to be clear, um, awe 
I've said that word a few times here. Awe is a blend of reverence and wonder caused by something beautiful or unexpected. Okay? And the incarnation is both <laughs> to the nth degree. First of all, um, it was unexpected. It was inconceivably wonderful and in that it, it boggles and confounds the human mind. How the, the infinite God could manifest himself fully within the constraints of space and time and the human body. Uh, it's like saying someone contained the fullness of the Gulf of Mexico in a coffee cup, right? It's not comprehensible to us how it was done. The limits of our finite understanding lead us to call it impossible. And yet our God is the God who speaks into existence the things that did not previously exist. He designs, engineers, and produces the, com the complex beauties of the physical universe ex nihilo. That is, out of nothing. The psalmist says our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. <laughs> he does whatever he pleases. And you know, the, the inconceivability of the incarnation is why, uh, maybe you know about this, is why the, in the gospel accounts, uh, the, the Pharisees were always so upset with Jesus every time he was making claims of deity. When he would forgive sins, they would say, who does this guy think he is? He's a blasphemer. No one can forgive sins but God alone. When Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, invoking the unchanging, self-existent name of God from Exodus, the Pharisees started to pick rocks up off the ground so they could try to stone him to death. And again, when he said, I and the Father are one. Pharisees were like, uh, you know, Vizzini on the Princess Bride, exclaiming, inconceivable, <laughs> over and over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, to, just to give them some credit, they were not wrong to have their minds blown. But they were wrong to assume that God would not ever do something that they could not conceive of ahead of time. The incarnation is a humbling reminder to us that God's wisdom and power are as far above our own as the heavens are above the earth. And second of all, the incarnation of Christ was beautiful because once it happened, the realization was that it was absolutely vital. Right? It was the only way that God and sinners could be reconciled. For Jesus to be our perfect Savior, he could not be merely human. And as crucial as his divinity was, he also couldn't be only God. In order to die and rise again, he had to have both natures, right? He had to be the God-man, 100% God and 100% man. This is why during Christmas, we make much of the virgin birth that gave way to the incarnation, right? The virgin birth, while it may sound strange to those who have not uh, wrestled down its meaning, it was not some obscure miracle. It was God's infinitely wise and totally intentional plan to give us the hope of salvation. <laughs> you see, Jesus had to be fully God. 
because he had to be perfectly capable of carrying out a perfect life. And he had to be an infinitely valuable sacrifice, capable of covering the sin of the whole world. Only God could be that, right? But he also had to be fully man, because his life and death had to be vicarious. That is, they had to be on behalf of and imparted to us, flesh and blood people. And he had to make himself vulnerable, right? Like us, and thus able to be killed, right? That was the end goal. Do you know that? That was the end goal. Some ridiculous person said a while back, you know, if Jesus had more AR-15s, maybe he wouldn't have had to be killed, you know? That, friends, anyone who says that, stop listening to them, okay? The end goal, even from the day of his birth and before the foundation of the world, Jesus was born to die. He was born to die. And in order for his death to be efficacious, his birth had to be immaculate. As another preacher so perfectly stated, without the virgin birth, there could be no empty tomb. And so I appeal to you that Advent is a season for awe. Because the incarnation of Christ was the inconceivably wonderful and yet absolutely vital mode of Christ's arrival. I love this quote by pastor and author Paul David Tripp. He says, I came to see that I was wired for awe. That awe of something sits at the bottom of everything I say and do. But I wasn't just wired for awe. I was wired for awe of God. No other awe satisfies the soul. No other awe can give my heart the peace, rest, and security that it seeks. This is true. And yet, as we discussed some last week, so many, even Christians, year after year, are having Christmas celebrations devoid of this kind of Depth, content to make the new iPhone. That's exactly the same as the old iPhone. The centerpiece of their Christmas awe and wonder. Or some other new trinket that will be tossed into a box in your closet to be forgotten about in years to come, right? And so while Advent offers us a season of doctrinal depth, replete with hope and awe and consolation and joy. Christmas often functions like a litmus test that simultaneously reveals the desire for and the misplacement of a sense of awe due to ignorance or unbelief. In 2012, there was an Olympic gymnast Michaela Maroney, who inadvertently became an internet meme superstar when she won the silver medal in one of her competitions. Because she was after the gold, she became for the world the textbook not impressed face. (laughs) You can look it up after service, okay? But as if that wasn't funny enough, In 2016, Ohio State University conducted a study that revealed that this not-impressed face, furrowed brow, pressed lips, elevated chin, often accompanied by crossed arms, right? Um, This actually transcends cultures, (laughs) right? English, Spanish, Chinese, and ASL-speaking people, they were all surveyed. And so uh, regardless of language and culture, wherever you are in the world, apparently 
That's what the unimpressed sentiment looks like. You can know for sure. (laughs) Uh, Why am I sharing this? Well, because the Bible, too, actually gives us a textbook picture of what it looks like when people are not impressed with Jesus. Here it is in Romans 1. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, I wish... I sincerely wish Romans 1 was not a text that could be related to Christmas, but it is. The most wonderful time of the year. Oh, it's filled with wonder. It reveals that people do have an innate desire for a sense of awe, but it's so often misplaced. So often misplaced. As Romans 1 says, while they know that Christmas is about the birth of Christ, they don't honor him or give thanks to him for the wonderful reality of his incarnation, but instead they become futile in their thinking and they exchange their holiday worship of him for the worship of created things. Instead of Wonder in the gospel, they seek out the wonder of Christmassy stuff. Magic. Snow. Good vibes. It doesn't take a sharp observer to see how Christmas exposes the human desire to be in awe. You can see it everywhere, right? All the extra decorating people do, all the extra activities they're willing to pack their schedules with, all the presents they're willing to buy. That's, if you're tracking with me here, that's the expenditure of money, time, and energy. No one expends all that unless they're in awe of something, or at least longing to be in awe. Christmas exposes that aspect of our human nature. We long to be in awe of something. But if Advent and Christmas are really about Christ and his incarnation, why is the sense of awe misplaced for so many? It seems like such a logical connection. We all know it. So why is it misplaced? Well, As I said in my second point, one reason would be ignorance, right? Some people really, they really don't know because they are either non-Christians or nominal Christians. That is, they call themselves Christians, but they don't really know what that claim means. If you're in either of those groups, I would just encourage you to stay with us. Stay with us through this Advent season as we dig down into the real meaning of Christmas. But I assume that many of us, the majority of us, are genuine Christians. And yet many of us, even in our genuine faith, if we're honest, we still struggle with misplacing our sense of awe during this season. And I want to say this as graciously as I can, because I... I do not mean this to be harsh. In fact, the reason I think this is because I sense the Lord convicting me, my own heart, this week in my Advent devotions. But I think the reason, as Christians, that we're sometimes not in awe of the incarnate Christ during Advent, like we should be, is that we too exchange the truth for a lie. We exchange the truth for a lie, as Romans 1 says. What's the lie? 
What's the lie that we believe? The lie that we suddenly believe, I think, is the lie of the serpent in Genesis 3, verse 4. Do you know what that one was? Do you know that lie? The enemy of our souls is still whispering that lie to us all the time. You will not surely die as a result of your sin. You will not surely die. Church, I encourage you to search your own heart and life for this lie. In a church like this, I'm positive that maybe you willingly acknowledge doctrinally that you're a sinner. Any sinners in here? I thought so. We're willing to admit that in a church like this. But my question is, perhaps, maybe, have you forgotten the dire state that your sin puts you in? Do you see how we detach those? Have you been maybe passing over small compromises or maybe just stopped being sensitive at at all to the ways that you might need to repent or, or grow? Friends, let me tell you something about our enemy. Satan is a sly and sinister sycophant who loves to cozy up. He loves to cozy up as a counterfeit friend of sinners. Jesus is the true friend of sinners (laughs) who tells us the truth that no one is good except God alone. And then he goes to the cross to lay down his life for us. And he he encourages us to constantly be dying to our sin by the grace he offers. That's the friend of sinners we have in Christ. But Satan pretends to be a friend of sinners by easing their troubled consciences, by excusing their sin, and acting like their little disobediences are not enough to really put them in any real eternal danger. Can you hear his voice? You won't surely die. You won't surely die. Why is this important to know? This lie leads us to believe. Okay, he he leaves the doctrine part. Do you see that? How clever is our enemy? He'll allow us to have our doctrines, our sound doctrines. He's good with that. Yeah, 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 you're a sinner. Cool. Good with that reformed stuff or whatever you want to believe, right? But here's why he continues to tell us the lie. You won't surely die. Because if he can lead us to believe, even subtly, even subconsciously, that our sin doesn't really lead to death, then we start to believe that maybe we don't really need a Savior. Maybe we don't really need a Savior. (laughs) Maybe, church, we're not impressed with Christ during Christmas like we should be because we've unwittingly drifted into thinking that we don't really need him. Maybe at one time we we felt that sense of, of need, of desperation, but we've since grown dull and dry. And as a result, maybe we've Maybe we've started to see the gospel and and the birth of Jesus as sentimental and and sweet instead of awesome. Church, Jesus did not come as a baby for you to think, oh, heart eyes. He came so that your soul would feel the worth 
of one of the greatest salvific miracles ever and fall to your knees, overwhelmed by awe for the divine love and mercy that came bundled up in swaddling clothes as a free gift to you. Snow melts. Vibes fade. Magic is not real. Jesus, on the other hand, (laughs) is as real as it gets. He's the realest, as the kids say, right? (laughs) The wonder of his gospel will never fade. And though the whole earth will one day dissolve like snow as we sing at his return, his glory will never melt away. I don't mean, I really, this next part, that was hard, but this next part, um, I really, truly, friends, I've prayed about this and why I'm so concerned to say these things, I don't, I don't know, but I, I don't mean to offend anyone with my telling the truth to you about Christmas magic. But for my Santa-supporting friends, let me tell you something about the real Santa Claus. Can I tell you something about the real Santa Claus? He would absolutely hate the way he has been idolized and centralized on Christmas, stealing the awe of children away from Jesus. Friends, I tremble to say that in this pulpit. You know, jolly old Saint Nick... He was a strong Christian man. Do you know that? He was a real historical person. He was very generous. And he had a reputation for helping impoverished children. That is who Santa Claus is. Saint Nick. That's who he he is. Here's another thing. As history goes, he once punched a heretic in the face for denying the incarnate deity of Christ. Kind of puts a new spin on the whole naughty and nice thing, doesn't it? So if you want to tell your kids about Santa, go for it. But I think the truth is best. I think the truth is best. Santa loved Jesus and children. And what he wanted perhaps more than anything else, was for children and adults too to love and be in awe of Jesus. I'm going to let this brother preach sometime soon too. (laughs) And all that, it's a lot better than flying reindeer if you ask me. But So we'll close. And as we close, let me finally read to you the, the, the text that prompted this message, because I think it might be helpful for us as we strive to stir up or recover our sense of awe for Jesus this year. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter is talking about the Old Testament prophecies regarding the first advent of Jesus. Uh, and at that point, after he says these things, he, he says something really peculiar, Okay. Let me read it to you. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 10. Peter says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Don't check out. Things into which 
angels long to look. So he's saying that the prophets of the Old Testament, they realized by the illumination of the Holy Spirit that the Savior was coming at a future time and that he would have to suffer to redeem God's people. And then he's saying that that we, as New Testament believers, uh, we know all the details now, right? We we know all the details. We call call the details um, the gospel, the good news. That's what he's referring to. You saw that in the passage here, right? Um, But then he tacks on that the angels long to look into the details of the gospel. I thought that was an interesting addition Peter made. That word he uses, long. It's the same Greek word as lust. Do you know that? Same word as lust. So he's saying the way the angels look at the good news of Jesus' coming to save sinners, it's like this deep yearning, a healthy, holy obsession, if you will, to see and to marvel at all the wonders and the beauties of it, of the advent. I can't help but think, this is what we should want for ourselves. This is what we should want for ourselves, that we would just always be lingering over and considering how amazing the gospel is, that Jesus came and, and, and put on flesh the incarnate word of God to dwell among us in order to make us right with God by his atoning death. And so my final point this morning is that a great awe recovery method is to consider and emulate the angels, by looking at Jesus in amazement. You know, as I rolled this around a bit, this idea of the angels longing to look into the gospel, the the Lord brought something to mind that really blew me away. Um, In Exodus, after God rescues his people out of slavery in Egypt. He begins outlining their methods of worship. And um, this is a section in your Bible where you give up in your Bible reading plan, right? Um, So let me tell you what it says. Um, So God starts outlining the methods of worship, and he gives to Moses all the, the specific instructions for the tabernacle, which was the tent where the priests would perform sacrifices on behalf of the people. And in the innermost room of the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, if you will, there there sat the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. It's a a gold chest with tablets of stone, the the tablets of stone that had the Ten Commandments uh, engraved on them. It also had a a golden urn with some of the manna from the wilderness wanderings. It also had Aaron's staff that had budded. All these are shadows of Christ. Do you know that? That's what's all inside the Ark of the Covenant. But the top cover of the Ark, it had a specific name. It was called the mercy seat, the mercy seat. And, and this is where it says the Lord would speak to Moses for the people. Now, I'm not a biblical languages expert, but the word mercy seat in Hebrew was kippurit, which is derived from the word kippur, like Yom Kippur. Kippur means atonement. It means atonement. That same word translated later into Greek is kilisterion, which means propitiation or the satisfaction of God's wrath. Say with me. Do we have a picture of that? Do we have a picture of that thing? Okay, there it is. I'm going to describe it to you, okay? 
on the Old Testament Day of Atonement, kind of like the Jewish Easter or Christmas, the high priest on behalf of the people would make a sacrifice and he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat. Now, I know we're kind of in the weeds, but I think you're going to find this design of the mercy seat interesting. It's this flat golden surface, but on the two sides, there are these two golden cherubim, which are angels. And, And listen to the description of them from Exodus 25. It says, The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. They're facing one another, and toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. Church, in the second book of Scripture, here's the New Testament idea we just read. The angels are longing to look into the beauty of the coming atonement. You see that? The angels are just constantly, unwaveringly, undistractedly looking down in awe and wonder. Now, I've touched on this one other time, but do you know what struck me this year about this? Who here has a nativity set in their house for Christmas? You have a nativity scene? Yeah. You've seen one, though, right? If you don't have one, you've seen it. Little figurines, Mary, Joseph, shepherds, and the wise men, which shouldn't be there at the same time, right? But we'll, we'll pass over that, okay? <laughs> the angels and baby Jesus there in the middle. Um, in all the manger scenes I've seen depicted in a little set like this, or even a painted version it's not like a family portrait, is it? I'm being serious. It's not like a family portrait, is it? In a family portrait, everyone's looking forward, aren't they? Yeah. Everyone in this scene is not facing forward, are they? How are they postured? What are they doing? They're all looking down in awe of Jesus, aren't they? The mercy seat was a foreshadowing of the manger scene. And the manger scene is a foreshadowing of the cross where no one in their right mind is not impressed. But they are in awe of the incarnate Christ, God in human flesh, humbling himself to the point of death to make atonement and be the perfect propitiation for his people. Advent is about awe. Dear Christian, let's be in awe this Christmas and let's be in awe of the right thing. In Luke chapter 10, it says, turning to the disciples, Jesus said privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, and they did not see it. And to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. Friends, the fact that we have the privilege to be God's new covenant people and to know all these things and to see all these things and to hear all these amazing gospel details. With that great privilege comes a great responsibility. A responsibility to ensure that we don't float through this life distracted by the world and unimpressed with Jesus. As I close, I just want to read one of my favorite Christmas songs to you. It's called, Come and Stand Amazed. 
I think it, it outlines the best possible application that I could give to you today. It's in your notes if you want to look. It's on the screen, I think. It says, come and stand amazed, you people. See how God is reconciled. See his plans of love accomplished. See his gift, this newborn child. See the mighty, weak, and tender. See the word who now is mute. See the sovereign without splendor. See the fullness destitute. See how humankind received him. See him wrapped in swaddling bands, who as the Lord of all creation rules the wind by his commands. See him lying in a manger without sign of reasoning. Word of God to flesh surrendered. He is wisdom's crown, our King. O Lord Jesus, God incarnate, who assumed this humble form, counsel me and let my wishes to your perfect will conform. Light of life, dispel my darkness. Let your frailty strengthen me. Let your meekness give me boldness. Let your burden set me free. O Emmanuel, my Savior, let your death be life for me. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would do in our hearts what we are incapable of doing for ourselves. God, just as at the beginning of our faith, we were in awe of Jesus, our Savior. That was a work of your Holy Spirit. And God, what you did by your spirit, we are not now perfecting by the flesh. We need you to keep doing it for us, God. We need you to help us be in awe of the right thing this Christmas, this Advent season. Father, would you open our eyes in greater ways, open our hearts to behold amazing things from your word. Help us to behold the incarnate Christ, Jesus, our Savior, our perfect Savior, fully God and fully man, that he might accomplish the atonement we needed. Thank you, God, for the virgin birth. I pray that these wouldn't just be things that we sing about mindlessly in songs, but things that we would treasure deeply and meditate on and linger over like the angels. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.